Philippians. It's in the New Testament. Chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, um, no problem. We'll have the verses up here. But uh, we would encourage you to, to get one by one, pick one up out here at the, in the foyer. We'll give you one. ESV is what we study from and bring it with you. You'll want to mark it up and uh, follow along. It'll mean that much more to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is our crazy busy series going from burnout to balance. The absolutely best thing about the Christian life, I'm convinced, is intimacy with God. It's, it's, it's the best. And the most important thing that you could pursue in 2014, if you really, really wanted to make 2014 the best year ever, would be to pursue that, intimacy with God. And, and so why we've taken on this crazy busy series is that there's just tons of things that tend to get in the way of our lives. The worst thing about a crazy busy lifestyle is that it can rob you of the best thing about the Christian life, and that's intimacy with God. And there's almost this kind of crazy cycle that happens in our lives. A crazy, busy lifestyle will rob you of intimacy with God. And a life without intimacy with God will drive you more into a crazy, busy lifestyle, creating this crazy cycle. And it's uh, because what we need more than anything, what you need more than anything, as you, as you will discover here in our study this morning, is that you need to be up close and personal to God and know how much he loves you and values you. And as that begins to fill up your tank uh, emotionally, spiritually, then you'll be ready to take on the things of the world. We, we, we aren't able to take on the things of the world because we're oft, often operating out of deficit rather than the abundance that we have in Him. Now, we kicked off this teaching series last weekend, and our kind of theme verse is Psalm 4610. You guys remember what that verse is? Be still and know that I am God. Why don't you say that uh, with me? One, two, three. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And that verse is in the context of, uh, of, a, lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, nature falling out from under us, earthquakes and problems all the way to nations coming against us and and quite a bit of trauma and trials and temptations. And in the midst of that, if we will be still and know that he's God, I love the way the message puts it. It says this, step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God. That's great. That's what we need. That's what you need more than anything. That's what you need more than anything that you may think that you need. You need that more than anything. And so we looked last week at the dangers to avoid. A crazy, busy lifestyle will rob you of joy, choke your heart, make you less productive, destroy your body, and cover up the rot in your soul. And then we talked about how to slow the pace. Using that as an acronym, S-L-O-W, start working from versus for your identity. And, and so we're going to focus in on that one today. What does that mean? So we've got to learn to start working from rather than for our identity. Then we can learn to say no. That's the L, S-L, learn to say no. And to keep our tanks full, we've got to obey the fourth commandment, Sabbath rest. We're going to get into that eventually in this series. And then we've got to learn what it means to wait on the Lord. And, uh, but we're going to focus in on that one. What does it mean to work for rather than 
work from your identity rather than for your identity because that's our problem. That's the root issue in our lives. And so let's, let's dive into that this morning and see how we can remedy that. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Glorious and gracious Father, our hearts are forever restless until we find our rest in you. We pray this morning that you would open our blind eyes and deaf ears to the wonderful things, wonderful things from your word. Help us to see that much of our crazy, busy lifestyle is nothing more than a cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of emptiness inside. Reveal to us our root problem, its many faces, the solution of being overtaken by your glory and beauty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text. Philippians chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Stop there for a minute. Look up here. What he's saying here is not saying if as if you may or may not have. The word really means since you have these things. Now you can have these things and maybe not be tapping into the resources that he's talking about here. So that's why the word if is there. But we have these. This is what we have as believers in Jesus Christ. So he's beginning with what we have. We have this abundance of encouragement in Christ and comfort from his love and participation in his spirit. His Holy Spirit dwells within us and affection and sympathy. And then he goes on. So then out of that, that's the foundation of our life. So we're working from our identity here. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's wanting harmony. And he's working, dealing with conflict. He's given us some keys to conflict resolution. And then here's a key verse. We're going to come back to this. There's a couple of words that we're going to uh, define, but it says in verse 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to go on. It's just the next uh, verses, 6 to 11, are just absolutely wonderful verses. They are breathtaking verses. They are, uh, they're giving us a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. He's talking about conflict resolution, and he kind of dives deep into our heart and begins to show us that it's really about our pride. Verse 3, rivalry and conceit, and then the opposite of pride would be humility and how are we going to be humble that uh, he goes right into this uh, amazing description of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, speaking of Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It just, he's just like continuing to work down. Not only did he become a servant. So think of this. The God of the galaxies came to this earth. That would be enough, enough said. But he, but he took it even further than that. Not only did he come to this earth, but he became a servant. And not just a servant. He 
died, not just any death, he died a death on the cross for you and I. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The name, name in the Bible often refers to character also, his character, who he is, who he is. He's, he's breathtakingly beautiful. He's soul satisfying. When you begin to understand who Jesus is, when you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be the same. Really, that's the idea here that he's wanting us to get across, what he's wanting to get across to us. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's take a look at this. What's our root problem? What are its many faces? And what is the solution? So we could say the root problem, here's your first fill in the blank, it's pride. It's self-aholism. That's, that's our problem. If you wanted to get to the root of our issues here in America or throughout the world or why we have conflict in our marriages, it's right here. It's, it's pride. It's, it's because we want to make life all about us. We're addicted to, to us. We're, I'm addicted to me. Um, that's the idea. That's what pride is. Now, let's, let's unpack a couple words in verse 3, as I stated. He says, do nothing from rivalry. The word rivalry is, the Greek word literally means a desire to put one's self forward. So it has that kind of attitude of competitiveness. And, and there's nothing wrong with competitiveness. It's good to, be, uh, to have a little competition. You guys watched those games yesterday, the football games? How many didn't even know there was any football games on? Okay, that's what I thought. You guys aren't into the playoffs, are you? There is a Super Bowl coming up real soon, okay? Some of you are like, ah, who cares, whatever. Okay, and there's a lot of competitiveness. And it's saying, it's saying that we shouldn't have this kind of competitiveness because this competitiveness, competitiveness is driven by something other than what it should be, rivalry. Or rivalry, the next word is conceit. Conceit is an interesting word. It means this, vain glory, empty glory, hungry for respect, glory, honor, glory, hungry. So it's a competitiveness. We could say, so we desire to put ourselves forward. So we are competitive because we are empty of glory. The word glory is an interesting word, and it means uh, weight, significance, or importance. It's, uh, that's what it means. It just, uh, it, so when it talks about the glory of God, we're talking about the way he, he matters. He matters more than, than anything else in our lives. He, that's the word weight, matter, significance, importance. So when you live your life for God's glory, the people would see your life in such a way that they could say, Hey, wow, God is really important to you and how you live your life. And so that's what that, that word means. And, and yet there's something inside of all of us. We need to have a sense of, of glory, a sense of uh, that we matter, that life, that we're living a significant life, that life, that we're important. And, and, and this is the fallen condition of the human heart, that we desire to put ourselves forward because we are empty of glory. And you can see why uh, being glory hungry leads to really a crazy, busy lifestyle, crazy busy lifestyle is driven because we are glory hungry. We're, we're putting ourselves forward in some way. Now, like I said, some competitiveness is, is not 
is not that. And I'll give you an illustration here in a minute of that. So let me give you a couple next fill in the uh, blanks here. So this is what we could say about pride. So pride is a preoccupation with promoting ourselves because we are empty of glory. Because we are empty of weight, matter. We want to know that that our lives count, that they matter. There's something inside of us. It's one of the evidences, many evidences that we are created in the image of God. We want our lives to matter, weight, significance, importance. We were created to stand in the very presence of God and receive his favor. But because we turned away from God, our spiritual alienation has left us empty. Psychologically, it's called psychological alienation. And so you can kind of see this. So my spiritual alienation leads to a psychological alienation. I'm empty inside. Therefore, it's going to create problems between you and I. Because I'm going to be really focused on me and you're going to become a means to, to that end. You, you can't help but live like that. That's just that's how we're wired up. And that's what creates the problems, whether they be within your family or within, within uh, a culture a lot of wars between the people and racism and all of that stuff. It's all, it all is rooted in pride. It's all rooted in being uh, hungry for glory because we were meant to live in the very presence of God and have him look us in the eyes and, and, and know that we matter, that, that he places unbelievable value upon us. And then out of that abundance, then we would respond appropriately to the conflict in our lives. And people would not be a means to an end. When, when you're self-centered, self-centeredness just basically means that everything is a means to an end to you. When you're operating from a deficit, then that's why you're going you're gonna to jack up your marriage. You're not going to be a good parent either. Especially if you're looking for affirmation from your kids. Or that your kids have to turn out a certain way so you can feel better about yourself. You're going to be very objective about how you're dealing with them. And uh, so it creates all sorts of Issues in our life. You remember the illustration I used last weekend? Rocky one. Remember? So you guys probably remember uh, this. Rocky, his girlfriend, Adrian. She was wanting to know why he wanted to go the distance. And he wanted to go the distance because that way, uh, then there could be a Rocky two and a three and a four and a five. Rocky six and a seven. And now they're coming up with it. Did you notice that they're coming out with kind of a, another remake of a bunch of old guys up there trying to slug it out? That ought to be good, huh? But uh, no, his girlfriend was asking why he wanted to go the distance. And he said, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Every one of us here does that. There's something in your life that you are saying to yourself, if I can accomplish this, if I can achieve this, then I'll know I'm not a bum. I'll know my life matters. I know I'll have significance and importance. Everybody does that. And typically you can tell what you're doing that with is when that, that particular thing is being threatened, blocked, or lost. You have that inordinate, excessive anxiety, anger, or, or sadness, or depression towards that. You just look at your, uh, your emotional makeup and how you've overly attached your heart to those things as opposed to really attaching it to God. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a, a measure of, of anxiety and uh, anger and uh, sadness in life, we, we will have that. But when it becomes inconsolable, when it, when it becomes inordinate in our lives, and it just, it's just telling us a little bit about what's going on within our lives. Another great example that I like is uh, Chariots of Fire, the movie. It's a, it's a great movie. It's one of my top ten movies. These are runners. Chariots of Fire won Best Picture in 1981. 
Uh, I look, look out here and some of you weren't even alive in 1981. Probably don't even know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a, it's a great movie. It's really a great movie. And it's uh, about 1924 Great Britain Olympic team. And it's it really focused on two guys. And the reason why I like the movie is because it does this comparison and contrast between Eric Little and Harold Abrahams. Eric Little is from Scotland and uh, Harold Abrahams is a, a Jewish Englishman. And so it's about the Great Britain Olympic team, 1924. And what's fascinating about this is Eric Little, who was a missionary in China, who was also very fast. His, his sister was wondering, why do you want to run? Let's get back to the mission field in China. There's a lot of lost people. And, and he says something there that's pretty profound in the movie. He says, uh, he says God made me fast, and when I, I run, I feel his pleasure. And what was interesting about this guy is that he ran for God's glory. He already found his, his completeness in God, and that was just another platform for him to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you could tell that he ran for God's glory because the, the race for the Olympics came up on a Sunday, and he had already, already made a commitment never to run on Sunday, so he was willing to give up the gold medal because he would have won a gold medal uh, by running on Sunday. He says, no, nah, I'm, I'm more committed to Christ. This is a personal conviction. I'm not going to run. And so he was willing to give that up because God was more important to him. And then they put him in another race uh, later on in the week where he won the gold medal. As, as opposed to, in contrast to, Harold Abrahams was running for his own glory. Because what was interesting about this uh, is that there's a scene in the movie just before he's about ready to run. And he's, he's, his personal trainer is with him. And he says this to his personal trainer. He says, I have 10 seconds I have 10 seconds to validate my existence. In other words, he's running the 100-yard dash. And he's saying, this is going to validate me as a person. So he was running for his own glory. He was running out of a deficit, out of emptiness. i got to do this. And, you could, and when you watch the movie, you can see that when he, lo- when he lost, I mean, he just blew a head gasket. He was just upset. He was angry. He was mad. He was depressed. He was, you know, just ready to drop out of life. So you kind of see and to where uh, Eric Little was quite different in how he responded to, to the wins and losses. And it makes a difference. So, so if, you're, if you're trying to build your resume, if you're trying to build something in you that you're lacking, you, when, you're, when you're successful, you're going to be inflated. And therefore, if you're inflated when you're successful, when, you're, when you fail, you're going to be deflated. And in fact, what's interesting about these two guys is that Harold Abrahams, uh, running for his own glory, he was weary even when he rested because he didn't really deal with the work below the work, the, the why we do what we do. He was desperate to fill the void inside of him. In contrast to Eric Little, who rested even when exerting himself. There is a rest, a completeness, a sense of of value, worth, importance, significance that is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And therefore, it brings a rest. Therefore, all of your effort is flowing out of that abundance. You guys tracking with me? That's pretty important. And, but the default mode for all of our lives is to try to find our sense of identity out there through an achievement, an accomplishment, you know, a relationship, kids, how they turn out, whether we have kids or not, any number of things like that. And uh, so here i got a whole list of ways this is seen. And, and I, I gave you some verses. You can just study more of this this next week through your growing notes, and there's a lot of good cross-references there. 
So what are the many faces here of this? Proverbs uh, 16, 18 through 19, and Proverbs 25, 27, and 26, 12 give you some more insight. I'll let you read that and study that on your own. But pride is, is the villain with a thousand faces. And most of these are from really... Uh, it's kind of the springboard for this study, this series of studies. It's from uh, Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy. And so most of what I'm going to share with you right here is all from that book. So if you want to pick that, it's, it's an easy read. And uh, I'm actually kind of pretty much elaborating quite a bit more than what he says in the book and kind of using a lot of my own uh, a lot of my own experiences and, and what God has spoken to me. But let's kind of work through this. We'll go through this pretty quickly. Let's just see where you might be and how you tend to to uh, be crazy busy because of any number of these things that are driving you. And it's because of this emptiness inside. You're glory hungry. These are what it looks like if you're glory hungry. People pleasing. We're too busy because we do too many things, because we say yes to too many people, because we want them to like us and fear their disapproval. And then there's pats on the back. It's similar to people-pleasing, except less motivated by fear of disapproval. It's more motivated by a desire for approval. So it's not so much about disapproval. It's more about approval. I want that approval. And then performance evaluation. We tend to overrate ourselves thinking that we are indispensable, irreplaceable, therefore refuse to, to get help or even refuse to delegate. We try to do it all our, on our own. I see this with moms sometimes when they try to, um, you know, take care of their kids. Their kids are old enough to be able to kind of clean up their own rooms and, and they don't get them to start early doing that. And they kind of do it all for them, even all the way up into their, in their teenage years. And uh, it's just, I, I see this in organizations. I can easily fall prey to this where I, uh, how many of you ever felt like sometimes, you know, I just might as well do it myself because that's the only way that it'll actually get done and, yeah, that's typically, and that dry, that's all part of that. That's pride that says that, by the way. Thank you for raising your hand and admitting that. You're, you're full of pride, like me. And, so, and then there's possessions. We work to earn. We earn to spend. We stay busy because we want more stuff. How many would say that we're probably... We probably could get rid of a whole lot of that stuff uh, in our lives, and it would probably bring a lot more freedom. I'm telling you, if you start, there's, there's these uh, folks, and I know uh, I've got my kids are kind of into this minimalist thing, and there's a real freedom in a lot of that, just getting rid of a lot of the clutter, a lot of the junk. Uh, here's the next one, proving myself. There's a difference between working from for my identity, as we've already said, working for my identity and working from my identity. Um, Years ago, uh, when we first started Desert Breeze, uh, we, in a way to reach out into the community, we thought, hey, let's, let's get into some of the uh, softball leagues that are uh, within the city. We thought, oh, that would be a good way to interact. That was a terrible way because, uh, because we were too competitive and we had a really sorry team and we got our butts beat every week. And the people that were on the team didn't like that. And so we began to fight amongst ourselves. And uh, it was just like, come on. I mean, we would get a beating. Like They'd have to shut the game down <laughs> because we were getting beat so bad. In fact, we had players that didn't even know which way to run on the bases. <laughs> I'm, I'm, seriously. And so we had a few guys that were really competitive. It just frustrated them. And it's because they were glory hungry. I mean, we, you want to play, but at, at some point you just go, hey, this is who they are. This is what they're about. God's trying to teach us a good lesson. We got into so much conflict. Boy, talk about a pitiful witness. And then I got ticked off because they were, because they were ticked off. 
because you guys are making me look really bad as a pastor of Desert Breeze. I was glory hungry. I realized that I even responded to them inappropriately. I was responding to them as they were responding to their situation. And it was ugly. We just, we, we, knocked, we said no more leagues, no more baseball until we can figure this out and not be so competitive because we were glory hungry. If you're to look at a lot of the conflict that you get yourselves into, it's because you're glory hungry. It's because you're operating out of a deficit. There's, there's a bunch of neediness inside and and you need to understand what, what he offers you. But, but there's that, that proving yourselves. And then there's this preoccupied with self. Let me elaborate on that a little bit. How do I look? How am I feeling? How are people treating me? What do people think about me? Let me take that even a step further. Um, here's what I've learned through the years. You'd worry less about what others thought of you if you realized how little they did, Okay. Because chances are they're probably really preoccupied about themselves. So they're probably not even thinking about you. Sorry. And if they, and if, even if they are, they're probably pretty humble people. And they're gonna, it's not, you don't have to really impress them. I'm going to read something here in a little bit to kind of help you to see what humility is even more so. But see, if, if you seek out compliments uh, from others, or even if you're afraid of compliments or of any kind of attention, that just shows you that there's this preoccupation going on. If you're bombarded with brain debates after interacting with others, brain debates about your performance or their treatment of you, it's because you're painfully aware, self-absorbed with thinking about yourself. In fact, this is what's interesting. Superiority and inferiority are both, both a preoccupation with self. So uh, superiority is like, hey, I deserve admiration because look how much I've accomplished. Look at me. Let me boast a little bit about how great I am. If you'd really start listening to how you interact with people and the stories that you share, why are you sharing those stories? Why do you always talk about yourself? And uh, this, this message was pretty convicting for me as I started thinking about what I talk about when I interact with others and why am I interacting like that. But take a look at the next one, self-pity. People feel, feel sorry for us when we are busy and for enduring such heroic responsibilities. So I deserve that. So, so superiority is I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished. Inferiority, self-pity is that I deserve admiration because of how much I'm suffering. Those are both preoccupation with self. And by the way, to tell a person with an inferiority complex to look out for number one just keeps them trapped in their self-absorption. Did you hear what I just said? So someone's feeling down on themselves and I'm just no good and I'm worthless and no, no, you need to look out for number one. What? Uh, What are you going to do? Help them get a superiority complex? They're already preoccupied with themselves. So so both of those are a preoccupation with self. And uh, you keep them trapped when you do that. There's a solution. Here's the next one, poor planning, failure to delegate or waiting until the very last minute to get something done or failure to estimate how long something will take. How many, how many out there kind of do that? How many just show up too late for church because you're too busy with, uh, you kind of wait to the last minute to throw your clothes on and then you realize, well, I've got much more to have to do here. I look worse than what I thought. It's going to take me a little bit longer. And so you kind of find yourself running late. How many are perpetually late? I know who you are. I saw you walk in. Okay? 
I mean, part of that is just there's almost a pride. There's kind of a pride and a preoccupation. And it's, it's complex, I know. So poor planning. How about power? Power's another one. I need to stay busy because I need to stay in control. Also, overly, being overly responsible. This is what I found interesting. Is that when couples match up, usually you got one, one's very overly responsible and there's the other one. They always match up with someone that's under-responsible. You guys are, you guys are pointing to each other right here in the front row. We won't point you out, but, but typically, and, and what I found is that Nancy and I, she would be overly responsible in one area, in the very area that I was tended to be under-responsible for. And then I would be overly responsible in an area where she would be under-responsible for. There's that tendency to uh, put that responsibility on others. Or not, or to take on too much responsibility rather than to, and you do people a disservice and you're taking on their responsibility. Hey, could you call in sick for me, honey? No, you call in sick for yourself. You need to do that. They need to hear your voice. So there's, I mean, there's different ways that we do that. And it creates, we take on more work than what we should be doing. That's not what God's called us to do. And so we take it on. Here's the next one is perfectionism. How many perfectionists do we have in the house? I'm leading the way. Thank you very much. I can't let up because I can't make a mistake. See, if you're always down on yourself, always beating yourself up, perfectionists have a perpetual dissatisfaction. That just as you think you hit the standard, you can always find something wrong with what you did and you just keep pushing it higher and higher. It's perpetual. And then you've got position. I do too much because that's what people like me are supposed to do. And then there's prestige. If I keep pushing myself, I'll finally be somebody treating others. And, and, what, and, and this also oftentimes comes by treating others with contempt, sneering, jeering, ridiculing, putting down people. One of the things my wife told me a number of years ago, I don't do as much anymore because she told me not to do it anymore. But uh, when we would go and visit a church and I would ridicule almost everything in that church. Why would I do that? Because I'm glory hungry. Because my identity is misplaced. And she'd go, I don't even like visiting churches with you because you, you ruin the experience. You, you just, you're making it all about you and about your success. And because it's like, and I said, okay, then don't go with me. <laughs> and I didn't say that. But, I, you know, that's, that's typically my pride would say, well, get off my back. You don't know how hard I work. You know, you just get into all kinds of goofy stuff. It's just like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Why am I so cynical? Why am I so critical? Why can't I? I mean, why didn't I just, why didn't I do what you're doing? You just came to encounter God, just, just to experience him. And I got to sit there and criticize everything. It's like, wow, it's, just, it's all about me, isn't it? Uh, yes, I've been trying to tell you that for a long time. <laughs> Thank you. Because through that, she was trying to bring, she wanted me to experience freedom in that. But that's part of that. Uh, so in that sneering, jeering, just think about that. Why would you sneer and jeer? Why, why do you do that? Why do you put people down? Why would you get into that mode? Because you feel better. You're elevating yourself. There's something about you. You're going to feel better. If I can talk bad about the churches around in the area, then we're, we're the only ones that are really doing it right. What? You're messed up. That's an elitist. That's a pride. That's glory hungry. That's messed up. I mean, the Lord in the early days, boy, he dealt with me big time on that. You know, when you have major church conflict and half your congregation leaves, that, uh, and then you realize, man, you're about ready to, you know, you're, 
when, it, when you have so much of your heart attached to that rather than to him, I mean, it's, uh, it's treasonous that I, would, uh, that I would find my sense of identity in anything other than Jesus. And that's what he made clear. Whether this church is here or not, you have everything you need in me. And I had to learn that. And um, there's other things that I do that too also. But uh, posturing. Posturing is defensiveness. You're unteachable, can't take advice or correction, responds negatively. Do you find yourself blowing up or having a meltdown to criticism? You can't admit uh, feelings, faults, or failures. That's what I love about Desert Breeze. We're very vulnerable. We're very open. We're very transparent. We're willing to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't have it together. And because of that, his power is made strong in our weakness. We're candidates because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then there's, get, guess this, guess what this one is? Posting. What is posting? What is posting? Anybody know? Facebook. <laughs> now, now, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm on Facebook. I, I'm on Twitter. I was thinking about doing a selfie here with everybody in the background. <laughs> I can post for all the all of my all of my fans out there. I just want them to see how what a success I am because it's pretty full in here. I mean, it's pretty full. If they could just see all the people that are in here with me, selfie. Hey, how about I do a selfie while I'm preaching? Ooh. Oh, that was. I've done selfies. Okay, there's nothing wrong with selfies. Depends on why you're doing them. If you're honest, pride lies behind much of the social media revolution. It doesn't matter how many people are following us. We can turn Facebook and Twitter into, our, into outposts for our glory. Now, listen, I actually enjoy the people that are, you know, my Facebook friends, because when they post their celebrations, you know, they've had, you know, they've been married for 150 years. That's, that's, that's something. It's like, woo! I didn't know they were that old. Woo! That's cool. And when I see those things, it's, 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 it's a way of staying up. But beware, it really comes down to your motives. And I don't know what your motives are for why you post all those selfies. Hundreds of those selfies every day. Here's the outfit I'm wearing today. What do you guys think? Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. Huh? How am I looking? Yeah. Okay, enough of that. Hey, I added another one to this list, and there's so many more that we could add. How about pleasure-seeking? How many have ever seen the movie The Bucket List? Pretty interesting movie. Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman, uh, they're dying of cancer, and they think, hey, there's some things that we still want to do. And they do all these things, but they find that the list is much deeper. Did you notice that? It's much deeper. It's much deeper. There's more things. There's things that are much more significant. But then they still miss it because, like most of Hollywood does, they still miss it because there is something much deeper much deeper, and, and this is the much deeper that all the pleasures in this world are just dim glimpses of the pleasure we can find in Jesus Christ. I mean, think of all the best things you've ever enjoyed. That's a dim glimpse of the pleasure that we have in Jesus. Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Went out to a restaurant with uh, Scott and Karen. They invited us out. They had a couple coupons. I love it when people have coupons. I'll go out with you if you've got coupons. 
And so we went out to this, I think it's old Chicago or something off of Bell Road up there. It was, it was a pretty cool place. It was a good place. But we sat there, and man, they, they, they brought out this chocolate cake, kind of a volcano chocolate cake, just smothered with chocolate, with ice cream, and chased it with coffee. And oh, that was fun. But that is just a dim glimpse of the pleasure we have in Jesus. And in fact, don't let your pleasure terminate there. Let it go all the way up to the throne room of God and say, what kind of God would give us these kind of pleasures? Oh my goodness, he must be even better than all of this. And he is, he is. And so what's the solution? I've kind of alluded to it there. The solution is humility. You can fill that in. A couple of good books if you want. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and Timothy Keller, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. That was a small book that we handed out uh, probably about a year or so ago. Just a small book. But uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, Timothy Keller, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Here's how we, uh, this is how we resolve uh, this glory hungry within us. True humility, and this is from C.S. Lewis, this is what he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. It is a blessed self-forgetfulness. Humility has to do with what you are looking at or focused on. So look at verse 4 of our text. He says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. The only way that you can do that is because you're filled up with God. You're captivated by his beauty and his glory. So, so he's not denying your needs. You have needs. There's no doubt about it. Don't deny those. But don't only, not only just look after your own interests, but also the interest of others. You're going to be other-centered. And he says in verse 5, Have this mind, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let me read to you what Tim uh, Keller says here. He gives a really a great definition for humility. Let me grab a drink. He says, don't you want to be someone who doesn't need honor but isn't afraid of it? Doesn't, or doesn't lust for recognition or frightened to death by it? Someone who can go by a mirror and doesn't admire what you see but also doesn't cringe. Someone who doesn't sit around fantasizing about hitting self-esteem home runs. Oh, if I could achieve this or accomplish that. Or sitting around beating yourself up over stupid things you have said or done. Wouldn't you like to be free? Wouldn't you like to be the athlete who wins the silver and yet be just as excited about the record-breaking athlete, athletic accomplishment of the gold medal winner? Loving it just for the fact that it was done, whether it was you or him, enjoying people, things, and circumstances just the way you would enjoy a sunrise for what it is, not making it about you or about building your resume in an effort to fill up the emptiness on the inside. Interesting. There's an amazing freedom. That's what humility is. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. It is a blessed self-forgetfulness. Why? Because humility is not found by direct pursuit, but is the byproduct of seeing and being seized by the glory of Jesus Christ. So if I were to say, you were to come to me and say, Hey, Pastor Ray, you are one of the humblest guys in the world. And so could you tell me, how are you so humble? 
And the, the minute I opened my mouth, I would no longer be humble, would I, if I started telling you how to be humble. Uh, hum, humility is a very, uh, very shy virtue. And then immediately when you try to tell people how they can be humble or the minute, and I've heard people, I actually heard a guy a number of years ago say, hey, I'm, I'm one of the humblest persons in the world. And I go, really? That's interesting. What's your definition of humility? Must be different from mine because when you said that, you were no longer humble, dude. <laughs> but, uh, and so humility is not found by direct pursuit. It's a byproduct of seeing and being seized by the glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, this is an amazing, famous, and magnificent passage that we read about who Christ is and what he has done. That, that if you can... If you can grasp this, or better yet, if it can get a hold of you, if it can get grasp you in your heart, it will ruin you for anything else, verses 6 through 11. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a symphony in three movements, verses 6 through 7. You've got the incarnation, that God became flesh. That, that in itself is amazing. How do we know there is a God? He showed up here. He became flesh. And then what did he do? Atonement, that's verse 8. Sacrificial love. At one moment, he brought us into relationship with the Father, and then verses 9 through 11 is exaltation. I mean, this is sweeping theological discourse. It's just amazing. If somehow you could get a glimpse of heaven and could see Jesus, his beauty, glory, brightness, and majesty, it would be overwhelming. It would knock you down. If you don't know God as breathtakingly beautiful and soul-satisfying beyond anything in this world, then you don't know Him. My heart and prayer for when you come in here on weekend services, and even throughout the week as you hang out with other Christians in small groups, is that you would know Him and you would be um, awe, awestruck of His beauty and glory. Oh my goodness. See, that's... Why would he put this in the middle of this conflict resolution? Because that's what we need. The reason why we have so much conflict is because we've, we've got spiritual alienation that creates psychological alienation, which creates social alienation. They're all tied together. He's saying, oh, if you could just see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have all the divisions. You'd be thinking about one another. You'd be other-centered. That's the point. That's what he's getting at. Listen to what John Piper says. He says, no one would go to the Grand Canyon to increase their sense of self-esteem. Nobody stands on the edge of the Alps or the Rockies in order to go there to feel better about themselves. Do you know why we go there? Because you were created to be satisfied with splendor, not self. You were created to be infinitely, eternally, fully, joyfully satisfied in a grand splendor, not a great self. Lay down your quest for the applause of men and the approval of men and begin to get on a quest for the one thing that will satisfy your soul, the splendor of Jesus Christ and all that God is for you in Him. That's great. Last point. Jesus Christ, second person of the, of the triune God, emptied Himself, not of His deity, but of His glory, so that you might be full that we might have this, this weight, that we would matter, significance and importance. Verse 7 says, But made himself nothing. The Greek means to empty, to make empty. Theologians have asked, emptied himself of what? As I said right there, not of his deity. He didn't give us... 
he didn't give up being God, but he started being a servant. This is the hypostatic union. It's a big theological term. This basically means that he's 100% God, 100% man. You're not going to understand it. It's a mystery. This should be celebrated. You can't conquer it because our minds are too small. He didn't give up being God, but he started being a servant. He didn't shed his divine nature, but he assumed a human nature. But more than that, he became a servant. And more than that, he became a servant who died. And more than that, he didn't die just any death. He died on the cross and then he resurrected from the grave so that we go back to verse one so that I could have fullness in Jesus Christ through his encouragement, comfort from his love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy. And then I can empty myself in humility to others fullness in Christ. Let me end here. We're going to take communion here this morning. So we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. So you can kind of see what would drive a crazy busy lifestyle. And I love the way that uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones kind of uh, summarizes all of the Bible. But this is really what the Bible is about. But it's also about what Jesus is about and, and what uh, the Apostle Paul is writing here in Philippians. This is Sally Lloyd-Jones, the Jesus story uh, Storybook Bible. She says, The Bible isn't a book of rules or heroes as much as it's a love story about a brave prince. Who's the brave prince? Jesus, who leaves his palace, heaven, to rescue the one he loves. That's you and I. The Bible is an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. Who's his lost treasure? You and I. And to the degree that gets a hold of your heart, is to the degree that you will have the weight, significance, and importance, and you will go from, from burnout to balance in your life. And you will stop living for your glory, and you'll start living for His glory. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Let's prepare our hearts for communion here this morning. As the trays are going to be passed and in just a moment, and as the, the band sings this song, they're going to be singing a, a song here this morning, Though He Slay Me, and really... The idea behind this song is that really the answer to our difficulties and our suffering is not to love things less, but to love God more than anything else. Only when our greatest love is God, a love that we cannot lose even in death, can we face all things with peace. It's when we receive that abundance, then we can begin to respond to life. And even though he slay me, no matter what goes down in my life, I will worship him and praise him because I have all that I need in him. God, thank you for this message this morning. May we be captivated by your love. May we be overtaken by your beauty and your glory as we take communion. These these symbols of of your sacrificial love for us, may we see that we do matter, that we have significance, that we are important, more than we could ever dream or imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As they pass the trays, if you're not a believer, just let it pass by. If you're a believer, hang on to them and then I'll walk us through the process. You can become a believer this morning by acknowledging your sin that separates you from God, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and then uh, confessing Him as Lord. Turn your life over to Him and then feel free to take communion with us. God bless you.